I just want to pause and say thank you for the opportunity to be here. What, what a blessing to get to know some of you guys, reacquaint in fellowship with many of you. And to, I just want to say thank you to Brother Tim and for the invitation and uh, Brother Josh. Again, so neat to see what God is doing in his life. I can still see, I, I can still picture him at First Baptist Church in Hibbing where he sat, you know, and, <laughs> and now he's a pastor and God is using him in a great way. It is just exciting to be a part of the work of the Lord, is it not? It's, it's just neat to see what God is doing. For all of you pastors out there, I just want to give you an invitation we have a camp called shepherd's camp and you've heard a little bit about that we've been doing that for over 20 years and it is up in northwestern ontario the lord is is so good he gave pastor shane and i a camp um, and, and literally we didn't have to pay anything for it it's a camp that's on its own lake and we lease the land from canada we own the buildings we have a 50-yard buffer zone around the entire lake, so no one else is even supposed to be on the lake. It is totally just dedicated to us. And there's just a countless other little lakes around there where the fishing is just absolutely fantastic, not the least of which is the Winnipeg River system, which has giant muskie and walleye and northern and you name it. It's, it's a phenomenal area for fishing. Well, um, the second week, just after 4th of July every year, that week after the 4th, we invite pastors to come on up and be a part of that camp if you'd be if you'd like to be a part of that come talk to me now it's a wilderness experience we do not have uh, uh, electricity or running water we're using generators and uh, you know running water as fast as you can run with a bucket we have outhouses and so it's a it's a wilderness camp it, it, it's a neat place but the Lord has greatly blessed if you come all you have to do is get to uh, Brian Baptist Church in International Falls and we organize kind of pool rides uh, we buy your fishing license we buy the gas we buy the food we provide the boats we provide uh, everything is absolutely free to you uh, Brian Baptist Church has funded that for over 20 years and so uh, you come and and just have a great time We've had, I don't know, somewhere from 150 to 200 pastors come down through the years, and by their testimony, several of them have said, if it wasn't for Shepherd's Camp, I wouldn't be in the ministry anymore. Our speakers typically are Dr. Les Olala comes sometimes, Dr. Rick Schrader, who's from Kansas City, he comes and speaks, Dr. Shane Belding, and you'd be stuck with me some of the time. This uh, last year, we, we dealt with dispensationalism, new dispensationalism, the hybridization of covenant theology and dispensationalism that's trying to be attempted out on the landscape. This year, we dealt with the models of sanctification, um, all of the different, you know, Keswick models and the progressivism, perfectionism, and even some illiberate, the new, new uh, wave of liberate theology, which teaches us that all we need to do is study the indicatives and not the imperatives. So we're trying to do cutting-edge stuff that really helps pastors and and really brings them up to speed on theological issues. So that's what the retreat is all about. And we have our chapel, and we fire up the generator, and we use PowerPoint and Corel presentations. And so, pastors, if you'd like to, uh, uh, you talk to me about that to get some more information. Just come on up afterwards, and I tell you, if you're really interested in Shepherd's Camp, what I'd like from you is your name, the church that you're a part of, and just give me your cell phone number so that I can text you because that is one of the easiest ways that we can get back and forth with each other. Or if you. Uh, 
uh, know of a pastor that you would like to suggest. We have a limited amount of space. We don't have a ton of space for a lot of guys, and so I think we'd have to cap it at around 20. But if you love a, a genuine wilderness experience where the fox comes up and you can feed him marshmallows and you hear the timber wolves sometimes howl off into the distance and, and there's a great potential of a moose walking by, if that, if that excites you, if that's really a thrill, and, and we've got, you know, bear are just all over the place, and, you know, I, I can get, matter of fact, if you want, hey, by the way, if any of you want to go bear hunting, come talk to me. I've got a buddy up there who's got a bear camp, guide camp. They shoot a lot of blonde color phase bears and cinnamon bears, and so if any of you are interested in doing that, you come talk to me. Um, I do some bear guiding as well in northern Minnesota, but uh, uh, this is a much better opportunity. It really is. It's a, it's a much better opportunity to do that up there in uh, northwestern Ontario. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, I want to read for you verses 1 through 8. Paul's goal for young Timothy is found in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. But it's a goal for us. And, and can I help you with a, a portion of Scripture? Do you know what the North Star is? You know, I know down here you can see the stars. You really want to see the stars. You come to northern Minnesota when it's 35 degrees below zero on a new moon night, and you can go, there's one here. You know, look at this one. I mean, our, our, it's just crystal clear in our sky, but we have, you see the North Star, Polaris. You see the North Star. I want to give you a North Star scripturally to navigate. And the North Star is always in the north. It's always there. 2 Timothy chapter 4 is a North Star passage which will help you say, okay, what, 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 what am I supposed to do with my life? What, what am I supposed to do every day? How do I live my life? 2 Timothy 4, 7 is going to give you that directive, and you, you need to memorize it. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. You, you, you need to use this as that guidance passage of Scripture that is always going to keep you in line. Now, my task in this particular session is how you, can, how you can help your preacher. Well, as you can imagine, our ministry, because of Shepherd's Camp, one of the key things that I have done and do and plan on doing, Lord willing, is to continue to build pastors. They are a needy bunch of people. And you know what? They're people just like you. They're people just like me. They have needs, they have struggles, they have problems, they have difficulties. Sometimes they battle with habitual sins that you don't even know about, and, and we get to deal and help and encourage and strengthen them. Um, they, they are a needy bunch of people. And so God wants us to serve. God wants us to help. And, and Timothy is struggling at Ephesus, and that's really the, the setting behind this. But we're talking about making me a blessing by becoming like the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, what's the best way that you can help your preacher? Is becoming more like Jesus Christ each and every day. That is the best way that you can help your pastor. It's not just about what you're going to do for him. It's about why you're doing it. And I'll tell you, it will revolutionize your pastor's life and your local church ministry. Please stand with me as I read for you 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. 
I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not unto me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I cannot, without your enablement, by your Spirit, preach the Word of God in a transformational manner. We are gloriously dependent upon your power in, in working in our lives. And so I earnestly, humbly again pray for wisdom and thought flow and clarity of mind to share forth the truth of this passage in accuracy so that the Spirit of God can use it in their lives to make them more like you, Lord Jesus. And so, Father, I'm going to call them to fight the good fight. I'm going to call them to understand the course that you have set before them and to stay within the parameters. I'm going to call them to be reminded of the, the didactic truth, the substantive truth that defines our faith. And I pray, Lord, that you would make all of this crystal clear in their lives so that it is a, a life-navigable directive that it will change their lives for every day of their lives for the rest of their lives. And so, Lord, clearly I'm asking that which is impossible for me to accomplish, but that which I know you want to accomplish in and through their lives. Thank you again, Lord, for this camp, for the leaders. Thank you for Josh and his church. Thank you for each one that is here. Please, Lord, let your will be done in their lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. You may be seated. Becoming like Christ will involve a change in your perspective. Your perspectives are made up of your presuppositions. Your presuppositions are what you believe to be true. The network of putting together your presuppositions gives you your worldview. You live your life each and every day according to your worldview, based on what you believe is true, which gives you your, your, your perspectives. Paul is dealing with Timothy's perspectives because he's struggling with this right now. So I want to help you develop your worldview, your presuppositions, your perspectives to become biblical. And in order to do so, you've got to open your heart and mind to the Spirit of God and the Word of God and its truth. Now, William Law writes in his book, in that little block quote over to the right, turn your eyes towards heaven and fancy that you saw what is going on there. And you saw the cherubims and seraphims and all the glorious inhabitants of that place, all united in one work, not seeking glory from one another, not laboring their own advancement, nor contemplating their own perfections, not singling out their own praises, not valuing themselves and despising others, but all employed in one and the same work. Christ is the one who made them like that. All of those that are functioning in heaven are functioning according to the way that Christ made them. And did you know what? Christ wants to make you like that. And how is he going to do that? By the means of the Holy Spirit, play Ruste and Penumatai. He wants to fill you by the Holy Spirit. He wants you to be filled with, with what Jesus Christ is all, all about. By the way, what is Christ like? Well, Galatians, Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit... 
that which the Holy Spirit is going to produce in your life, which is really, if you look at Jesus, he is the, remember, he's the, the schematic of what we are to be like. Christ is our goal, but the fruit of the Spirit, well, what are we going to be like if we'll, if we'll let the Spirit of God remind us of truth? If, if we'll get up in the morning and we'll study the Word of God, we'll pray, we submit ourselves to God, and we engage ourselves in the fight, which is Paul, Paul is going to say, Timothy, you need to get in the fight again. So how does that work in our lives? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, temperance, meekness, faith. Are you gentle? Are you kind? Are you patient? Are you selfless? These are characteristics of Christ that Christ wants to be formed in you. As a matter of fact, he said, before the foundation of the world, because of sin's effect in your life, the only way you're ever going to accomplish those things is nothing short of a gospel transformation, and it's going to take the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ to accomplish it. And when that gospel entered into your life, immediately your life is going to be changed and changing. And the Spirit of God is going to indwell you personally, and He's going to be reminding you. He's going to you know, say, hey, Ross, don't think that. Ross, don't say that. But I want you to say this, and I want you to do that. And all of it is, hey, it's, it's looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Philippians 1 says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun that good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He wants me to become like Jesus so that love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, temperance, meekness, faith, it becomes a part of my life. And the only way that I can do that is, is, is by saying, hey, Christ needs to be formed in me. And so it isn't something that where I get on my knees and I go to the altar and say, oh, Lord, I leave it all in the altar and I get up and go, oh, wow, isn't that ever wonderful? No, you still have your old nature and the devil's still at the door. And the world is out there saying, go ahead, delude yourself that I'm not going to fight you. You just go ahead and delude yourself. And your sinful self is there. The world, the flesh, and the devil are always there. So Paul instructed Timothy about perspectives, and I want to do the same for you. And the first he begins with a looking back perspective. Let me help you. Look, look what Paul says in verse 6. He said, for now I am ready to be offered in the time of my departure is at hand. Most of you know that this is a prison epistle. Paul is writing this, and he's anticipating the end of his life. And he said, I'm ready to be offered. And the idea there is an Old Testament libation offer. It, it's, it's as if the cup is, is tipped and it's beginning to pour and about the last drop. And this is really a metaphor of his life. He said, my life is about to come to an end. And then he says in the second, the time of my departure is at hand. You see that word departure? I love that because it's a nautical term. I'm a, a, a ship's captain by, by trade vocation and by qualification, I have a United States Coast Guard master's captain's license, which allows me to run up to a 100-ton vessel and a 1,000 horsepower. And this is a nautical term, so it's very dear to my heart. It comes from the Greek word analusis, and it means to untie from the dock and depart. Paul said, I've been here on earth such a long time that the Lord is about ready to pull the slipknot, which is tying him to earth, and he's going to drift off to heaven. It's about that time in his life. So he said, Timothy, I know that you're struggling. I know there's difficulty in your life, and there's all kinds of battles going on. Now, Timothy, there's three things that I want you to do. And they're found in verse 7. Notice what he says. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. Now, we're going to go back to our hermeneutics. 
Hermeneutics, a historical, literal, grammatical, contextual, theological understanding of the scriptures. We're going to take a look at a, a, a grammatical study of this. All of these, for you Bible students out there, they're perfect indicative. Perfect means that it was a, an action that was completed in the past, speaking about that which the gospel did for Paul in Acts chapter 9 when he trusted Christ as his Savior. And what the gospel did via transformation would have a continuing result in his life every day of his life for the rest of her life. And so really the idea behind that, to, to give you a sense of the verb, is it's a good fight I have been fighting Jesus met with him, and, and he knelt, and he said, Lord, who out there? And he said, I am Jesus. And, and so Paul cries out from his heart. There's no, you know, we don't know all the details of that transaction, but he's saved. And so at that moment in time, he realized, wow, I've been fighting God up to this point. Now I need to fight for God. Well, what do I need to fight? Well, there's three primary things that all of us need to fight. We need to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil in our lives. We need to be careful that they do not take the place in our lives that the Lord Jesus Christ only should have. Now, we're looking at the goal in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, but what were the struggles that Timothy was facing? Well, again, the, the, the goal that Paul has for us in 2 Timothy 4, we need to go back and look at the building blocks from 2 Timothy 1, 2, and 3, but we're, we don't have time to do 1 and 2, so we're just going to look at chapter 3. Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 9 of what we're facing in the world and the flesh and the devil today. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, this know also in the last days, perilous times shall come. It could be translated fierce. What's going to be the problem? What are our pastors going to face in ministry? What are we going to face in our local churches? By the way, this isn't talking about what you're going to just necessarily face in the world. Timothy wouldn't have been discouraged about that. He would have understood that this is what the world was like. This is actually what Timothy was facing within the walls of the church. This is the struggle that was going on within the assembly. He said for their men, the people within his assembly, they would be lovers of the moan salves, and, the, and uh, they would be um, covetous, boasters. The idea behind boasters means that they were empty pretenders. They really didn't have a substantive faith. Um, they would be disobedient to parents. They would be unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. And the idea is that, that it wouldn't be natural to them to be loving. And so they're going to be rude, they're going to be obnoxious, they're going to be hard to deal with, they're going to be argumentative. They were truce breakers, and the idea behind that is that they, they, they won't come to the place as to where they will make a commitment. And by the way, that word only appears one time in the Greek New Testament. They were false accusers, they were uh, incontinent, and that doesn't mean you needed to wear depends, it means that uh, they had no self-control as far as their willingness to follow the allurements of sin in their lives. And by the way, I can't tell you how many pastors say, man, I'll tell you, I have guys that are struggling with anger, I have guys who are struggling with pornography, I have guys who are struggling with these things, and it seems like they don't even try and defeat it. This is a North Star passage that's going to tell you what to do in those regards. How not just to confess your sin, but to mortify it. And then in verse 3, he picks it up. He said, these people are fierce. Hey, fierce church members, fierce church attenders. Can I help you with something? The worst treatment you will ever experience is going to come from those who claim the name of Christ. Did you know that? It's going to come from those who claim to be fellow believers. They're going to lie about you. They're going, to, they're going to say things about you. They're going to campaign and get a bunch of people together, especially if you're a preacher and oppose you. 
They're despisers of those that are good. They're traitors, and this is uh, meaning that they're going to betray you. You trusted them, but they betrayed you. They're, they're heady, and this has the idea that they're hasty. They, they don't care. They're just going to plow ahead with whatever they want to do. They're high-minded, and this is the idea of being conceited. They're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, and the idea is that they take the shape of a godly person, but actually they deny the power thereof, the dunamis. And what is the power that they're denying? Guys, they're denying the power of the Holy Spirit to train, change your life. and Pleruste and Penumatai, the filling of the Holy Spirit to make you like the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the power of the Spirit that reminds you moment by moment, hour by hour, as you're indwelt by the Spirit of God and illumined by the Spirit of God. I'm about to, you know, a lutely dressed, I'm, I'm parked waiting for my wife at the grocery store and a lutely dressed woman walks out. And all of a sudden you, you look for a second, I mean, you see it initially, what should you do? And immediately the Holy Spirit says, Ross, 2 Timothy 2, 2.22, I want you to flee youthful lusts. I want you to follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Yes, Lord, what should I do? Flee that. That means I need to look in another direction. I need, this is a youthful lust that ought not to be a part of my life anymore. I need to think about righteousness. That came to me, Lord Jesus, because of the gospel, and you made me righteous in my standing. Now you may want to make me righteous in my living. And, and, and then you told me about uh, charity. That's agape love. Lord, I do love you, and I want, and, 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 and Lord, I need to do that with people who call on the Lord. I need to have friends like this, Lord. And by the time you're walking through that which the Spirit has brought your mind to, that person has walked away. The temptation is gone. Christ is glorified and you become more like the Lord Jesus Christ in your attitude, actions, and appetites and you're fighting the good fight. And these things in 2 Timothy 3, the, the traitors, uh, uh, for this sort are they, they do what? They creep into houses and lead captive silly uh, women laden with the divers' lusts, various lusts. And they're, never, uh, they're ever learning, but never able to come under the knowledge of the truth. Hey, preachers, how many of you out there say, man, I preach and preach and I teach the Word of God. They know all kinds of Scripture, but they never seem to be able to implement it in their lives. It's because they're denying the power of the Holy Spirit to make them like Jesus. Jesus Christ by letting him rule in their lives, letting the script, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Let it govern your lives. I want to give you an important insight. How do you read the scriptures? A lot of guys, one of the things, that, and you, the guys who have come to our shepherd's camps and camps up north, they're, 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 they know where I'm going. How do you read the scriptures? I'm not against reading through the Bible in, in a year. That's good. Um, one, time, one day this winter, I sat down. Other than Proverbs and Psalms, I read through the entire Old Testament. Started way early in the morning and read through it. But I can read fast. But how do you read your Bible? Many of us read like this. Well, today is, man, I'm supposed to read 2 Timothy today, so... <clears throat> and if I were to quiz you, pop quiz, what'd you read? Uh, Timothy was in there, and it said something about God, and there were some bad people. There was bad, bad, bad people. How'd I do? <laughs> Rather than reading the Word of God informatively, I would like you to begin reading the God, Word of God formatively. Study it. Sometimes my devotions are three words. And the reason why is I want to form in my mind an accurate understanding of what God is saying and plug that into my mind. 
And the reason I want to do that is pleruste and penumatai. I want the filling of the Holy Spirit, and I know that today, somewhere along during my day, I am going to encounter some sinful aspect from the world, the flesh, and the devil that I need to fight against. And I know that if I have formed in my mind what God wants me to think, the Spirit of God will come along. And when Satan throws out the lewd person, Satan wants to make me angry. Satan wants to bring me into to exaggerate or to lie or to be rude or whatever. Anything that's contrary to Galatians 5.22. And the devil comes and tries to make me do that. If I've formed in my mind that which Christ wants me to know, the Spirit of God brings that back. And then what I do, I muse, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my paths. I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. And so I have formed in my mind what God wants, and the Spirit of God brings that back. And as he does, I say, yes, I do not grieve him. I do not quench him. I go along with what the Spirit is trying to accomplish in my life to make me like the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, he reminds me, I submit myself to Christ. Yes, Lord, I know that I shouldn't do that. And if I've lingered too long, I confess it as sin, Lord. And I'm going over this, that which I've formed in my mind from the Word of God, and I conform myself to that which the Spirit of God has taught me, and I fight against that whole list of things that, is, that, that you see listed there. By the way, look at verse 16 of 2 Timothy 3. Most of us quote it on an inspirational, and it is true. It's, it, it's our premise for the doctrine of inspiration. We teach this in theology, but this is what I want you to know. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. What is the context to this? Timothy is struggling And Paul is calling him to fight, and so he tells him, how are you going to fight? You're going to fight by using that which God breathed. That which the Holy Spirit gave to you is that which the Holy Spirit wants to remind you of, is that which the Holy Spirit wants to use to make you like the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can go anywhere from Genesis to Revelation and find the appropriate scriptures. You'll understand their appropriateness by reading them not just informatively, but formatively to form in your mind those that understanding of what God wants for me of what God wants me to live like and what God wants me to know I will form in my mind submit to what the spirit is trying to teach me and show me because I've spent time in the word of God and I'm doing this all because what Paul said in in Philippians chapter 1 it is because the love of Christ has been shed abroad in our heart and we love the Lord we have the uh, uh, splaknon in the Greek we have those bowels of affections we have the, the affection towards God because Jesus is my Lord and Savior So the good fight I have been fighting. I'm fighting against the world. I'm fighting against the the devil. John Owen said, sin does not only still abide in us, it is still acting. It is still laboring. It is there to bring forth the deeds of the flesh. And so one of the, again, I I, want to point you to the fallacy of the the higher life movement, the fallacy of the perfectionism ideas, the the fallacy of, you know, if I only pray hard enough and if I only really, you know, just make it the intensity of my confession unto the Lord that everything's going to be fine. No. Paul said, here's the North Star passage. Every day of your life for the rest of your life, Timothy, you get up and you fight. You get up and you fight. And why do, I, why do I answer the bell? Ding, ding, and I bring up my arms. Say, all right, I, I, and here comes the world. Man, I, you know, I take, I, and I go after the world. Here comes the devil, and I go after the devil. But my arms get tired, and Jesus said, I'm here for you. And the Spirit of God says, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. 
Let not your heart be troubled. Cast all your care upon me. I am here for you. And by the strength of the Lord, you bring the arms back up. And the devil throws those things at you. And let me tell you what's going to happen. You want to know what's going to happen? The devil's no dummy. All the devil has to do is push a button and say, lust, anger, fear, whatever. He pushes the button and immediately you go, okay. He'll just keep pushing the button. But when you rewire the button to the Word of God and submission to the Holy Spirit, do you think he's ever going to push the button again? He's going, to be re- he's going to wait for when you're sick or when you're weak or when you're struggling. Then, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour, he's going to look for times of vulnerability. But he's not going to push those buttons in your life again because every time, you know, a lewdly dressed woman walks by and you, and you look for a second, you look away and say, flee youthful lust, follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Lord Jesus, I thank you that I don't have to lust anymore. I thank you that I don't have to think those thoughts like I used to thought. The gospel is true in my life. Oh, Jesus, thank you for being my Savior. I praise you, and I'm letting the word of Christ dwell in me richly, and the devil's over there saying, I'm not pushing that button again. I'm not going to push that button again. Every time I do that, this guy soars into the relationship with Christ and praises God. He gives glory to God. I'm not going to do that. Hey, isn't it about time we all became biblical electricians and rewired the buttons? Josh will tell you he's an electrician. (laughs) You do a seminar on that sometime. That would really be great. What we can learn from the electronics. So this is a North Star passage. You get up in the morning, I have fought a good fight. Nextly, he says, what? I have finished the course. Now, the word here for course is the same one that is used throughout the scriptures for the orbit of planets. Um, I wanted to be a neurosurgeon before I, the Lord called me to preach, and so I, I had some basic science study, and, and one of the doctoral papers I wrote on was uh, uh, vibration signature analysis and creation, and, and I, I love the whole science world. But I understand some things about how Jesus Christ created ex nihilo, those Latin words out of nothing, When God the Father handed the blueprint of the universe in a macro, even down to the micro sense, down to the subatomic particles, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke and said, let there be sun, let there be moon, let there be stars. And and there is some evidence, if you believe in subatomic particles, M-theory and string theory, that perhaps he created the microfilaments and literally he sang creation. And as everything vibrated, they vibrated and formed into quarks and the quarks formed into molecules, or excuse me, atoms, and the atoms formed into molecules. And everything according to the DNA of the wisdom of the schematic of God invested in the great Lord Jesus Christ was established in the entire entire universe was created by him and his power and his glory and he did it in such a way that the spirit of God went over and came back and gave a report to God the Father and the report was this that not only did Christ create it but he did it in such an amazing way he did it to just purely impress the Father and bring joy to the Father's heart and you are a part of all that And so all of the planets, all of the galaxies, clear down to the subatomic particles, the deoxyribonucleic acid when it goes through meiotic and mitotic division of cell division, and the cells begin to form in your body, and Christ, Psalm 139, goes to the womb and visits you and forms your personality and grows you up and makes you to be the person that you are. All that Christ is in control, and everything is under his control, but he gives to one group of people the power of choice. It's you. Everything in his universe follows its orbit the way that Christ created it. It follows the course. 
But for you, Christ said, I've given you a course. I want you to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil in your life. I want you to let the Holy Spirit bring the Word of God to mind. I want you to let the Holy Spirit take the Word of God and make you to be love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, temperance, meekness, faith. I want you to let the Holy Spirit make you to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Before the foundation of the world, you were predestined to do that. And from the point of salvation, Acts chapter 9, Paul says, perfect indicative, that you know, it, 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 something happened there with continuing results. What happened? He trusted Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. He was born again into the family of God. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun the good work in you will perform it clear up until either through death's door or the rapture, he takes you home. And so he's doing all that. And so he gives you a course. What is the course? Well, the course, number one, is to remember you are to take custody of the local church. You are to be a servant of Christ like Christ. Secondly, you are to be a witness for Christ. You are to go out with the gospel and share that to a lost and dying world. But thirdly, not only are you to do those things, you are to be building up the other believers in your church, undergirding. But you're also to be doing that with the pastor, just like Paul is trying to do with Timothy in this discouraging situation. And the way that you do that is, is you stay on the course. You do that which God has designed for you to do in his word. Well, how do I know that? Well, man, I spent a lot of time, I, I've read the Bible, I've read his word. Yes, you have the information, but have you formed in your mind that which God wants you to know and that which God wants you to know, has it changed your life? If it hasn't changed your life, then quit reading it the way that you've been reading it. And start reading it with a hunger and thirst. As a matter of fact, this is wisdom. And God says the price is, it is far above rubies. It's far above gold. And there is nothing in this world that is to be desired greater than to understand these truths. I challenge you, preacher, there's at least seven synonyms for wisdom that are translated wisdom in your English Bible from Hebrew synonyms. Do a study on that and bring that to your church. It's a, it's a life-transforming tran study. And then thirdly, the faith I have been keeping. The faith that he's talking about here isn't just trust. It is actually the teaching of the Word of God that sets the parameters as to how you are to live. So when you get up in the morning, it's the faith that's going to say, hey, I can go this far. Oh, I can't go any farther. And who's going to be there to stop you? You know, when, I, when I'm going to go into an area of sinfulness, you know, we say that there are gray areas. There are no gray areas. There's only the areas that the Spirit says yes to or no to. There's no such thing. You don't get to make that call. And even though, you know, the, the, the Bible doesn't say you go down to buy a vehicle and it doesn't say thou shalt not buy the Ford, thou shalt buy the Chevy. There's no verse on that. But there are principles in the Scripture and those principles, if you formed in your mind what Christ is trying to teach you, and you go about to do that, all of a sudden you're going to do that, and the Spirit of God brings that portion of Scripture to mind. And by the way, over time, if you'll work at this process, you will sensitize yourself to the leading of the Spirit of God through the Word of God, and you will mature at an accelerated rate, and those imperatives that God calls us to that we need to work on accelerating levels of obedience will become easier and easier and easier. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall, be, they shall be filled. And so the truth of the Word of God is the parameters of what I can do and what I can't do. And you know what I think grieves the Spirit of God? Well, Lord, how close can I get? And the Lord says, wait, wait, wait. That's, that's, and you say, huh, huh, huh? How about here? How about here? And the Lord says, 
you know what, I don't think you really care. So the next time you have communion, if you don't judge yourself, guess who's going to judge you? The Lord. And for this cause, many are weak and sickly among us. And God has even taken some of them home. So one of the greatest ways you can support your preacher is by keeping the North Star. You need to fight the good fight each and every day of your life for the rest of your life. My Christianity is not dependent upon my preacher, but my Christianity should, should make my preacher's life a blessing. Because I am here to be Christ-like. I am here to serve. I am here to do that which God would have me to do. And by the way, there are times when your preachers are wrong. They're not going to be happy with me telling you all this, but that's the truth. I am one. There are times when they're wrong. And there's times you need to come alongside privately, personally, confidentially, prayerfully, and say, Pastor, can I talk to you? And all of a sudden, your pastor will be weeping, saying, you're right. You're right. I know, you've seen my eyes when, when we're in the church and, 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 and there's a visitor. You, you, you watch my eyes. It gets her face, and I check her out and goes out. And you know what? I've been fighting this in my life. I, you know, do, do preachers fight lust? I can take you to where preachers have lost their ministries because of this. And say, yeah, thank you for noticing that. By the way, I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm really struggling in this area. You can help me. Hey, pastor, let's just pray about this. But pastor, I want you to know, I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm not going to tell my wife. I'm not going to tell anybody but the Lord about this. But I tell you what, and the pastor says, yeah, thank you very much. You know what? But pastor, I'm going to be watching your eyes. And he'll give you a hug and say, please do. I want that transparency. I want that accountability. I want to be right with God. I want to be a real man of God. But you see, I'm struggling too, and I need your help. And so because you're Christ-like, Pleiruste uh, and Panumatai, by the means of the Holy Spirit, you've understood what the Word of God needs to say, and you're going around with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, temperance, meekness, faith, and you lift up the hands of your preacher. You lift up the life of your preacher. You didn't come along and say, hey, what kind of a guy are you? Come on, you're a jerk. You're supposed to be a preacher. What's the matter with you. No, he's a human just like you. So let's yoke together. You're part of the fellowship. You're part of the what? Koinonia. And because you're part of the fellowship, we have responsibilities one with another. We are to provoke one another to love and good works, but we do it in such a manner. I don't point my finger and say, you lousy, what the heck? I come alongside just like Jesus would come alongside because I've understood. I've, I've been reading the Word of God formidably, and I have, I'm looking at the North Star. What does God want me to do this morning? Now, when I get up tomorrow morning, the same is going to be true for us. I've got to fight the world and the flesh and the devil. And I'll tell you which one I have the most problem with. That is me. Because him's always there. The flesh. I've kind of, you know, after years of ministry, I can kind of see the devil coming. And the world most of the time, but sometimes they trick us up. But it's my old sinful self that I face most of the time. And so I get up in the morning and say, you know, if I'm going to live for God today, first thing i got to do is run to the Scriptures and form in my mind that which Christ wants me to work on. And you know what? You'll be amazed how God will address your needs if you'll spend time with him looking for those needs to be met, changed, and transformed. God, the Holy Spirit, he does amazing things. Not mystical. It's in there. He wrote it for that reason, to transform your life. And so you go and say, I'm going to fight, and I'm going to stay on the course. Okay, the Lord says, I can do this, but I can't do that. I can do this, but I can't do that. 
And, and, and I'm going to look to the guidance of the Holy Spirit all day long. Now, the filling of the Holy Spirit is not going to make you weird. It's not going to make you wacky. It's not just focusing on strange, you know, sign gifts. It's the, the Holy Spirit is here on this earth right now after the completion of the New Testament canon. The Holy Spirit is here to make you like Jesus. That's why he's here. And everything is going to be around that. Yes, there's aspects of that. There's, there's, there's layers to that. I get it. But you've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ so that you can stay on course. And what happens if I do this? Look at verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not unto me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. There is a certain reward for us, and that reward is, is given to us by God, and it's a wonderful one. It is certain, it is personal, it is powerful. But it's only if you have the right worldview. Dr. Jason Lyle was one of my instructors. He has a PhD in astrophysics, and he really gave me a hunger for understanding and learning physics purely as a, as a layman, and especially in logic. But he says here, worldviews are a bit like kidneys. Everyone has them. You can't live or function without them. Yet most people are unaware of their own until something goes wrong with them. Is something wrong with your worldview? Then how are you going to fix it? I guarantee you what's gone wrong with your worldview is you've said yes to the devil, you've said yes to the world, or you've said yes to your old sinful self, and it's got you off track, and now you're not on the course that God has for you, and you've stepped outside the parameters of the faith, and you find yourself doing things that God does not want you to do, and so now that's the problem, and you need to say, all right, my, 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 my perspective is wrong. My, I presuppose that this was okay, and it's not okay. And I've grieved and quenched the Spirit of God who was trying to use the principles of the Word of God to get me to stop that behavior. And because I, I stepped outside the line, I, I, you know, a double-minded man, a double-souled man is unstable. Where? In all of his ways. And now that is beginning to permeate your life. And rather than the gospel permeating your life and its lifelong effect, now that, that worldliness, isn't it very interesting how sin can all of a sudden just really skew your whole perspective? And now sin is, is, is dominating an area of your life. It's debilitating your relationship. It's destroying your communication. It's corrupting your service. And it's tamping you down so that you can't do anything to the glory of God like you were before. And there's the devil over on the sideline going, thank you for not reading that portion of Scripture carefully because the Spirit of God couldn't use it in your life because you weren't paying attention. Do you want that? Well, apparently we do. Because for many of us, that's what we've been doing. And we dropped our arms. And we need to go bring up our arms to the fight again. Ding, ding. Get back in the ring. You lift up your arms and begin the fight because you love the Lord. You get back in the fight because you want the Spirit of God to make you more like the Lord Jesus Christ. To be able to help your pastor, to provide for him, to pray for him, to love him. The things that you need to do, the things that you need to do is walk with Christ and let him be the Lord of your life. J.C. Ryle says, I believe that far more is done for Christ's kingdom by holy living of believers than we are aware of. 
There is a reality about such living that makes men feel and obliges them to think. It carries a weight, of in, weight and influence with it that nothing else can give. It makes religion beautiful and draws men to consider it like a lighthouse seen afar off. God wants to take the wonderful freshness of the lily of the valley, the rose of Sharon, the character of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. By the way, as an interim pastor, I've had 13 interim pastorates, and usually when they call me in, it's not because things are going swimmingly well. It's they ran the last feature out on a rail, and you know, it's the Hatfields and the McCoys at the, at the business meetings, and they're just fighting, and you know, the church votes to get green carpet, and then one of the deacons stands up and says, we're going to get red! You know? One of my seminary professors, Dr. Stuart Custer, said, Ross, you're going to run into that in the local church. This is the antidote. I want you to preach through the Gospels when you get to those churches because what it will do is it will put up the Lord Jesus Christ and what he interacted like with other people as the model and everyone who falls short will ultimately be ashamed and in every one of those churches down through the years I followed my dear professor's instruction and I got to those churches and I just started preaching through the gospel and I said this is what Jesus is like and all of those who weren't like Jesus began to be ashamed and the Spirit of God takes the Word of God, Pleruste and Penumetai, begins to convict and convince them that they need to be like the Son of God. And they need the fruit of the Spirit. They need love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, temperance, meekness, faith. Against such there is no law. And God by His power and God by His Word and God by His Spirit, because they were reminded of what the Gospel is supposed to be doing in their lives, it transformed them into a child of God. Now it's supposed to transform them into looking like a child of God and living like a child of God. And they're to permeate their lives with the gospel. And day by day by day by day by day, becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, my issues with you don't matter near as much as the issues between me and my Lord. And when I get my heart right with God, all of a sudden, I feel it important to get my heart right with you. And as you get your heart right with God and I get my heart right with God, we become more like God. And day by day we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, fulfilling the predestination to be conformed to be more like Him. In our local church we need servants. But we don't need servants that are just going to sign up and serve. We need servants that are like Christ. We need people to take the gospel out to a lost and dying world. But please, if you're not right with God, keep your mouth shut. God doesn't need us. He desires to use us for his honor and for his glory. But if you'll let the gospel mandate, if you'll let the gospel mindset, if you'll let the gospel motivation control you because you are to be a, a light unto this world, you are to be a shining light to the world, you are to be a witness, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name and among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. If you really want to help your pastor be a godly man, if you really want to help your pastor surrender your heart to what the Holy Spirit is doing, get up in the morning and say, all right, you know, I want to be a blessing to my pastor. I want to be a blessing to my church. I want to be a blessing to my wife. I want to be a blessing to my family. I want you to know every one of us in this room are repugnant, ugly sinners. 
except for the grace of God. And the only thing that's going to keep us from living ugly, repugnant lives is getting up in the morning and letting the Word of Christ, reading it formatively. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. But the ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly will perish, Psalm 1. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate, crow translation, all day long, and any time you're awake at night. Lord, I love your word. I want your spirit to be in control of my life. And more than anything, when that grand and glorious day, listen, I will fake it, but it's going to be real. One fiftieth of a second, Commonwealth Edison said the rapture takes place. We're standing in the presence and the Lord walks up to me. I will be on my face. The nail-pierced hands reached down and pulled me up. And he said, Plebuste in Penumitae, by your cooperation with the power of the Holy Spirit, I see myself in you. I want that more than anything. And it's not because I'm a good guy. Ross Crow really does hate that. That is proof of the gospel in my life. That is proof of God, the Emmanuel concept, God with us. Because the things I used to do, I don't want to do them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. We're going to stand before Christ. I want to look like him. Do you? And fight the fight. Stay on course. Keep the faith. And henceforth there is laid up for you a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will give you at that day. Let's bow our heads together.